There's no way around it. Caring for a loved one with dementia is not for the faint of heart. We don't know what we don't know, and many families focus so much on the person with dementia that they forget to keep their eyes on the family member managing care, which can be catastrophic. In this podcast, we'll help you become more proactive and remind you to focus on yourself. We will share challenges and wins and guidance from professionals at every step in the journey of caring for a loved one with Alzheimer's and other dementias. Welcome to the Eye on the Caregiver podcast. So today we have David Dowd as our guest. David is the president of Aleve Care Hospice in Mansfield, Texas. David, thanks for joining Michelle and I today. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to be here, Sean. Thank you. David, as you know, we work with family caregivers to those with Alzheimer's. And one of the hardest topics to uh, both understand and I think embrace is hospice. So before we talk about some of the indicators that may lead a physician to speak to a family about hospice, let's spend a little time debunking some of the most common myths because there's a lot, I think. Yeah, I think we came up with six myths. So I will start off. So the first myth is hospice is a place. Yeah, that, that's a really good one, Sean. And, and I'm so glad that we're going to be going over at least these six myths because there's so much misinformation and misunderstanding about what hospice really is and what it isn't. Uh, I think the program is fantastic. It's, it's called actually the hospice benefit. Uh, but if you don't know what that benefit um, provides, then it doesn't give you the ability to make the decisions that are right for, for you and your loved ones um, at the right time for you. So yeah, let's tackle these myths. And, and that first one being that hospice is a place, it, it really isn't. I think a lot of people think that when you go onto hospice services, that that requires uh, moving someone to a facility. And while that can be the case um, in certain situations, most of the time that hospice care is delivered wherever the patient calls home. So that could be a place of uh, their their residential home. That could be um, an apartment. It could be in a hospital setting. Um, It could also be at an assisted living facility or a memory care facility. So really it's wherever that person calls home, um, in addition to there also being what is commonly referred to as a hospice house. And that's what a lot of people have in their mind as, as to what it means to go on hospice. But that's for really critically, um, ill people that are in the the final, final stages of death. And um, there is not the ability to care for them in the home. Maybe a caregiver can't be present 24 hours a day, uh, or they don't have um, loved ones that are able to to be with them in their home or bring them into, into their home. So yeah, hospice really isn't a place. So is it, I mean, do you also find that some people are interested in a hospice home if they don't want their loved one to die at home? Like maybe there's children at home or they just don't want that experience at home. Yes, absolutely. That comes up um, pretty frequently as far as being a reservation uh, of some people. And and it's understandable, of course. Um, Oftentimes we find that as we are discussing what hospice looks like and would look like in in a home, um, and how we would handle those types of things like, um, 
like having children in the home, we actually have a child life specialist that can help uh, with grief counseling and, and, and other counseling with the, those children. And oftentimes we'll find that people become a little bit more um, aware of, of what all is offered and how that would look, look and, um, and how we would help them to understand and teach them how to um, be better caregivers uh, for their loved ones in the home. And then they can always choose if they qualify uh, to go into a, a hospice house. And uh, those are typically around a dozen beds um, and really um, do you do have to meet criteria to be able to get someone into a, a hospice house. Interesting. So this next myth um, hits home with us. We, you know, I think many of us, and I know I personally was guilty of this, and I think Sean would probably agree, that we understood hospice to be something that you engage with at the very final days of life, you know, the, you know, the last week or two. So when our family was first told that it was time for our dad to um, transition to hospice, I mean, he was up every day. He was dressed. He was at happy hour. He, you know, I was like, I don't understand. I just don't understand. So, right. th- you know, let's talk about the myth. If you go into hospice, you're going to die soon. Like very soon, your life will be over. Let's let's debunk that one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's very common. What you and Sean uh, went through with your dad, and and uh, people don't think of hospice when their loved one is in the state that you described that your father to have been in. And it's important to get information and education out there to the public about um, what the criteria is and when you can qualify to receive this extra care. I mean, you have, people have paid into this uh, through Medicare their entire lives, and now they have the ability to get that kind of care that they need much earlier than than anticipated. So studies will actually show that when people do elect hospice care, um, they actually live longer than people that don't elect hospice care uh, near the end of life. And while a lot of us think of hospice care being those last few days or maybe just the last few weeks of life, um, the qualifier really is to have a physician that um, believes that it would not be unlikely for this particular patient with this particular disease process um, to pass away within six months or less. So really the benefit of hospice can, can be received for much longer than those last few days or a few weeks. And while it can be impactful and beautiful and wonderful in that short a period of time, there's so much more that we can do for the caregiver and for the patient if we have more time with them. Um, so you do have to have that life expectancy uh, six months or less from a physician. But remember, the prognostications on, on death are inaccurate by about 50%. So you could almost even think of it as, uh, as being you know, having a life expectancy of, of even a little bit longer than six months, but that, that prognostication is going to be a little bit off. And that's when you could start to assess the situation and learn more about what hospice can provide during those months uh, 
months of a relationship with a hospice company and a hospice team. Yeah, I think, you know, we learned so much, you know, with our process, with our father going through hospice and, and it was, it, it was not a lot of time at the end. Um, but, um, you know, I think back to your, your, um, your comment that, you know, no, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to die soon. And in fact, you can qualify for hospice if you, if you have a prognosis of six months or less. Um, you know, the other myth is, you know, and I think, you know, this is such a stigma of hospice is, you know, hospice just means you're giving up hope, right? It's, it's a done deal. Uh, it's going to happen. It's going to happen quickly. Uh, but that's not necessarily the case based on what you just said. Yeah, absolutely, Sean. Um, it's definitely not giving up hope. And, and really, I think the way to think about it is more of a redefinition of what hope means. Um, in that particular situation for that patient and that family. Um, and the hope becomes uh, to maximize and improve the patient's quality of life, uh, which will allow them the most of the, of the time that they have remaining. Uh, so it's just a redefinition of, of hope. Yeah, I think that, you know, as you're saying that, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, what is hope, right? Because hope is going to be different in every situation. And and, you know, to really look, instead of looking at it as the end of days, right, look at is, as you said, what's the quality of life within those end of days, right? And how can you uh, really make, maximize that? And, and I, I, you know, I have personal experience with, you know, family that have passed away where, you know, people haven't been able to really say things to the parent that before they could, and they regret, you know, not having conversations. And I think that we were, we were lucky enough that when my dad was diagnosed, we were able to start recognizing that we had time with him, you know, and, you know, I personally had uh, a lot of very deep conversations with my dad uh, before, uh, before he passed away and before he really became, and where he was still uh, lucid in understanding of the situation, what was going on. I was like, I, I was lucky to have that, you know, on the flip side, you know, I had this idea that I would, you know, interview my dad cause he had such an interesting life and I missed a window on that one. Right. And, you know, cause I sat down and I got a recorder out and I started asking questions and it was clear that he was having a lot of problems uh, remembering and everything kind of coming out was, was the same. Like every memory as he verbalized was the same. So there wasn't really much benefit of that. So I, you know, Plus side, I got to have some very deep conversations with my dad and, you know, negative side, I missed the window on really kind of chronicling his life. So, um, you know, I really want to emphasize to our listeners that, you know, the final months, the final weeks is, is where you really have an opportunity to celebrate this, you know, your loved one's life and, and hopefully celebrate with them. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, thank you for sharing that, uh, about your situation with your father, Sean, and, um, it's it just reminded me to mention that we do have an interdisciplinary team with hospice um, that's comprised of obviously an RN case manager, somebody that's going to lead the team, the care team for that individual. Um, but on that team, you'll have hospice aides that can help with bathing, um, maybe some light housekeeping, those types of things um, for about an hour a day. 
And then we'll also have a, a licensed medical social worker and um, chaplain or spiritual help. Um, and then um, also bereavement care following the patient's passing for 13 months. But key in on the social worker and the chaplain because they can assist a caregiver like yourself, Sean, with your father in framing that and a, a social worker that really understands Alzheimer's and dementia, other dementias um, can help you to structure what you could potentially get in that situation at that state of the disease process of Alzheimer's with your father. And they can really comfort you and help guide you through that process of, you know, quote unquote, interviewing your father um, and give you ideas and recommendations and suggestions and, and walk alongside of you with that. Yeah, I, I, I love that. So um, another, the next myth, hospice pr um, provides 24-hour care. Yeah, a lot of people do um, think about hospice in, in those last few days and think about somebody being able to be there 24 hours a day and completely care for the patient. And really, that's not what hospice is intended to do. Um, in fact, um, hospice originally is intended to help provide teaching um, to the caregivers to help them to uh, be the best caregivers that they can for their loved one with the assistance of the hospice team. And really, that's when hospice is, is the most beautiful. Um, but hospice teams uh, will, will uh, visit patients intermittently based on the current situation and uh, um, status of the patient's disease process. There are different levels of hospice care. So a lot of people understand what routine hospice care is. So that would be sort of level number one. Uh, routine care is kind of what it sounds like. We'll routinely come in, maybe an aide comes in two times a week, three times a week, five times a week to help with bathing, um, showering, and cleanliness of the patient. Um, and a nurse may come in once a week, twice a week, um, or it could increase as time needs uh, is needed. But that is still intermittent and most of the caregiving is provided by the family now there is a different level of care uh, that's you could consider crisis care um, and that is when symptoms are unmanageable by the caregiver and so that's the qualifier uh, it's a medicare requirement and and you qualify for continuous care or crisis care and that actually is 24 hour, uh, 24 hour care uh, at that point. But once the symptom is managed, then there's no longer a qualification for that crisis care. And that those nurses that are in there working on 12 hour shifts typically will, will be removed from the home. And imminency of death is not um, a qualifier for continuous or crisis care. Um, there are many people that do not need crisis care or continuous care in those last hours or days. Uh, but if there is excessive pain that can't be managed by the caregiver, uh, then yeah, absolutely, you could qualify for crisis care and we could be in there 24 hours a day um, near death. Gotcha. So the so another myth, uh, I think we're in, what are we, one, two, three, four, or five, right? Um so this is one that I think is, is very interesting, and that is the idea that the hospital discharge planner 
a social worker or even your physician selects the hospice agency for you. But that's not the case, is it? No, it's not. It's not the case in that um, they can't, you know, force you, let's say, to choose a particular hospice company. They can certainly make recommendations, um, but ultimately it is that patient or that, that family's decision on which hospice agency they would like to use. Um, so the recommendation really is to, is to interview one, two, or three hospice agencies um, and, and ask them, you know, what differentiates them from another hospice agency? I would certainly take the recommendation of a social worker or my primary care physician, um, but then I'd also look at some other options because you've always got the right to choose whichever hospice agency you would prefer. And then once that choice is made, uh, you can always choose to switch to another hospice agency if they aren't um, meeting the standards that you expect for, for your loved one within the, the hospice program. Um, that's important. So it's, it's always your choice and you can make that choice um, at any time for any reason. That's really good to know. Okay, myth number six, once I'm on hospice, I can't change my mind. And as you yeah, answered so, that, I, I would really love to know, like, why would someone change their mind? So give us an, um, an example of why someone may change their mind. Yeah, it kind of goes hand in hand with that last myth um, on being able to select whichever hospice agency or change your mind and switch to another hospice agency. So really all of the care through hospice is, um, is overseen by are directed by, you have the ability to direct your own care. And, uh, and you can change your mind and come off of hospice for any reason. So it's, it doesn't have to be a final, a final situation. Maybe uh, you've decided that hospice is right for you. You understand the program fully and you're on hospice for a period of time, maybe a few months. And there's a new opportunity for a curative treatment that wasn't available um, when you elected hospice originally and you've decided to seek that curative treatment. It is absolutely your right to be able to seek that curative treatment. And it's very simple um, to come right off of hospice. You um, fill out one, one form and you elect to come off of hospice and you go and seek that curative treatment. And, um, and, then if you're ever um, interested in hospice again, as long as you qualify, you can come back onto hospice. Um, so that would be one, one example. So, so this has been awesome. This has been great. Um, you know, going through all this, I wish we actually had talked to you 10 years ago when, when uh, we were in a situation and um, weren't as educated as we are right now. So thank you for, for going through all that. So the question I have for you, right, is, you know, as a physician, you know, treating your loved one and, and providing you guidance and recommendations on things, what are the indicators that physicians are looking at that they then start recommending or talking to families about putting their loved one into hospice care? So what are physicians looking for in order to make that recommendation? Yeah, that's, uh, there are several different diseases that, uh, that have criteria 
for hospice. And I'll just, I'll briefly just run through some of those. A lot of them are gonna be what you would suspect. Uh, they're looking for advanced stages of heart failure, chronic lung problems, maybe kidney disease or stroke, um, AIDS, any kind of neurological uh, conditions like Parkinson's, um, and then the end stages of Alzheimer's. And really for the purpose of, of our discussion and for your listeners, I'd really like to focus a little bit on some of those criteria for Alzheimer's and other dementias. Uh, a physician or even you at home with your loved one, you need to understand the disease process and the, and the progression of that disease as the physicians do. You might start to think about hospice when it, as it relates to Alzheimer's criteria. When, when, uh, when a patient starts to have difficulty in putting on their clothing, um, maybe they're unable to bathe properly. Uh, in fact, they might even develop uh, a fear of bathing. Uh, these are kind of some of the precursors to hospice, but things that you need to be noticing that you're getting closer to when you might want to have your loved one assessed. Um, and some other precursors might be um, the inability to handle the mechanics of uh, going to the restroom. You know, maybe you're forgetting to flush or you're not able to remember how to wipe properly. Uh, so things like urinary incontinence or bowel incontinence, uh, those are things that are going to advance towards the need for um, a hospice assessment or being able to qualify for hospice. And then once you get to where uh, a patient has the inability to speak more than five words that make sense in a conversation, um, that's when uh, you would qualify for, for hospice. So uh, things like that, or maybe all inte intelligible vocabulary is lost, um, definitely qualifying for hospice at that point. You become non-ambulatory, -amb um, unable to sit up independently, um, maybe you lose the in inability to smile, Boy, those are key indicators that your loved one could be eligible for that additional benefit of hospice care. So those are those are some of the things that uh, that your listeners could look for. Well, that brings back some memories <laughs> because you know I, I yeah we've talked about this on the podcast numerous times. We this we actually went through this twice, right? With my father's mother, you know, so my grandmother, and then then with our father, and boy, we had all kinds of issues, um, with my grandmother and the mechanics of going to the bathroom and things like that. Just, I, I have just high res images of my mind of, of those days. And, um, and then with my dad, you know, I think the, they started struggling, he started struggling to eat, you know, and, and, um, you know, and, and that was rapid, you know, I think he went from, you know, being pretty active in, in the memory care facility to, to really, you know, getting a call saying, Hey, you're, we're having issues, you know, with your dad eating, you know, and being able to eat himself, you know, mm -hmm. you, you remember yeah. that Michelle? Yeah. It was actually a swallow, you know, the, the, it was swallowing. He, he just was, he wasn't swallowing properly. And that's really what started our conversation about hospice. 
you know, he was up every day, happy. Uh, honestly, he was happy until the day he didn't wake up one day. You know, he, he just had a great personality and he was entertaining everyone with his jokes. But he didn't, um, he would put his food in his mouth and chew it, but he just didn't know what to do with it. You know, he didn't, he kind of lost the um, ability to understand swallowing. And, you know, we know that that um, people with Alzheimer's disease, you know, they, they forget basic functions that they need for survival. And, you know, in, in our case, that, w- that was the indicator. So, you know, what, what we really want people to take away from this is that it's never too early to start talking about hospice when you have a diagnosis of Alzheimer's. And we say that because there's no cure right now for Alzheimer's disease, and there's really no effective treatment. So we know at this time, if someone is diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, unfortunately, they're not going to survive Alzheimer's. Um, You know, we all live for the day that will change, but until it does, you know, so if you know that you are being diagnosed or your loved one is diagnosed with a terminal illness, which is what Alzheimer's disease is, it's just never too early to have that discussion, you know, um, and to speak to your physician or your social worker or if they're in a long-term care facility, just say, you know, we know hospice is going to be in our future. Help me understand what I'm looking for or what, what I need to be looking for and when I might expect to have that conversation. Do you agree? Oh, I agree wholeheartedly, Michelle. Um, you said it beautifully. And you know, due to the, the nature of the slow progression, typically of Alzheimer's disease, you know, it can be really difficult for family members to determine when their loved one becomes eligible for hospice care. So having that conversation early on is, is really critical to knowing and understanding when you can get that additional care. Um, and this, it allows you to have a plan in place. Um, so that when you do meet eligibility, um, you know which direction you'd like to go with your loved one. You know, I remember, Sean, I don't know if you remember this, but I, I vividly, vividly remember being told that it was time for us to start thinking about hospice with our dad. My mom and I sat at a table at his memory care center with the care the social worker, and she kind of laid it all out for us. And I remember going home and almost being paralyzed at my computer because we were geographically not close. You know, my brothers were in Virginia. My sister was a couple hours away. So I had to tell them that, you know, dad was going to be moved to hospice when I didn't really understand myself why. It hadn't sunk in yet, you know. And so that's why Sean and I, you know, we just wish we had had these conversations early because we would have been able to educate ourselves and our siblings. So when that time came, we would all be a little bit more empowered to, um, to act in a certain way and, and respond in a certain way. You know, it's never easy, but gosh, I felt so blindsided, you know, and I'm like, I don't know how to communicate this because they're going to say, well, I just saw pictures of him and he was like dancing at happy hour. And I'm like, true, exactly what, like the night before he was, the night before he didn't wake up, he was dancing at happy hour. So even when I got the call and said, you know, it's time for you to call your family, I thought to myself, like, wait, what? Like, what do you mean? (laughs) He was dancing at happy hour last night, you know? So they, the, the hospice staff, especially the nursing staff, 
they just understand what the disease progression looks like. And they do such a beautiful job at communicating that with families so that we, you know, we can approach it as it's happening with a much, with, with peace almost. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it becomes a peaceful transition rather than stressful transition when you're, when you're educated. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and a couple of things jumped out to me while you were talking there. And, and one is just how scary that word is uh, in, in our community, that word hospice. You know, it, it's a scary word for most people because it's associated with death. Uh, but that, that word hospice comes from the same root word that, uh, that hospitality comes from and hospital comes from. And those things are, are, are places or things that you think about in, in somewhat of a positive way. You're going to go to a hospital to get care, to get good care. Um, and then, you know, hospitality obviously has a tremendous amount of positive connotations. So hospice can be very positive when it's delivered the right way. And, um, and I don't want to diminish the last few days or the last couple of weeks um, if that's the time that you're able to elect hospice, but so much more can be done earlier on. And, and having that plan is, is really important. One of the, the number one feedback that we get um, is, I wish I would have known about hospice sooner. And my recommendation is to educate yourself, get out there, learn about it, get assessments early, be comfortable with the programs, so that you can make the right decision at the right time for you and your loved one um, and have the confidence that, that you're doing the best thing that you can in that situation for your loved one. Yeah, I, this is such an interesting conversation to me because there's so much, I, you know, I'm just listening to you and Michelle going back and forth on especially the final days and that last point you made, I wish I had known earlier because What's not uncommon, we hear this from a lot of uh, people in our community, is that, you know, you know, especially when you have adult children or extended family, everybody has kind of different perceptions of what's going on, right, from their, from their angle. And some may not be ready for your loved one to pass away. Some may be very ready for them to pass away and understand it. And... You know, what's so hard in the last days is trying to get everybody onto the same page and you're dealing with a lot of emotions, right? And you could find yourself, let's say you have three or four siblings, you could find yourself managing the siblings' emotions while you're trying to make decisions on what's the best thing for, you know, your loved one. And, you know, the common theme that we hear on these podcasts when we're interviewing experts like you is just planning up front and getting a plan in place so that, you know, when you do get the call and say, Hey, you know, it might be ready for dad to go into hospice that they understand what that means. They understand what the criteria is. So there's less of that, but he just looked fine. I talked to him yesterday. He was fine. And now he's not, and uh, I don't support this or I do support it. Uh, you know, so much of that just goes away if you can just plan. And that's really what we're all about here at the foundation is just to provide resources to people along this journey and help them understand, as Michelle said, you know, we just didn't know, right? There's so many things. I mean, 
this is just one of, you know, 50 things that we didn't know on this journey. And how can we educate people and, and get people to say, hey, you know, now at this point on your journey, maybe you should start thinking about hospice, right? Because it is going to come. And as Michelle said, unfortunately, there's one end right now. And um, it doesn't do anyone any good to kind of just, you know, put that off and, you know, almost act like it's not going to happen because I'm sure that's the case in many cases. So, uh, so David, this has been, this has been really, really informative. I thank you for coming on. Uh, I know you're out of the Fort Worth area. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Yes. So, um, so if people want to get a hold of you and if we have listeners in the, the Dallas Fort Worth area, um, and the best way is to, for people to contact you and, for people who aren't in the in the Dallas Fort Worth area, what advice could you give to families to as they're starting to think about and maybe putting saying, "Hey, maybe we should start putting together a plan for hospice." Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the name of our company is Alleve Care Hospice. Um, you might think of it as uh, alleviating. It's exactly what we do in, in hospice. We alleviate pain. We alleviate discomfort. We alleviate concerns. Maybe those are spiritual concerns, burial arrangement concerns, um, and and really even referral source concerns. Like who are you going to refer um, this special patient that you've been taking care of for 25 years as their primary care physician? Um, who are you going to entrust that care to? Um, so. A leave care hospice here in the DFW area. Um, our phone number is 469-630-2538. And you can also go to um, our website at www.alevecare, that's A-L-E-V-C-A-R-E.com. And um, with respect to uncovering hospice agencies that are um, in other parts of the country. I think a good place to start would be with your primary care physician. Um, maybe also your local uh, Alzheimer's association um, could have recommendations. You know, we actually meet at our Alzheimer's association uh, office once a month for a program called Continuity of Care in Fort Worth, Texas. And they are very familiar with a lot of the hospice agencies that are in their area and could possibly have some recommendations for you to consider. Excellent. Well, one thing I wanted to share with you, David, after going through all this and bringing back a lot of memories, um, is the fact that our, our hospice uh, situation was amazing. And, you know, Michelle and I spent a lot of time with the hospice nurse, and it was just great, really, to understand the process and she was actually explaining things you know things that were happening with my dad because like michelle said my dad um never woke up um but uh died a couple of days later and we were there the entire time and sitting at his bedside and um you know as hard as it was it's an experience that i personally would never trade um it was just you know where i wanted to be and where where i needed to be and um you know, I just, one thing I appreciate with, you know, one of the reasons why we started this foundation is because of the incredible people we've met along the way of our journey and the caregivers, the effect that this had on my mom and, and even us and Michelle of caring for my father as an unpaid caregiver and the people we met at the memory facilities and independent living 
and to top it off the nurse at the end um just you know such an amazing job that they do in some of the hardest times of people's lives and i i commend um you for for the your what you do and all your staff that work there that are really there for people you know in their darkest days thank you yeah i can't i can't agree more it it um i tell people that it it made dying a beautiful thing um in in our experience you know there we there was no stress there was no it, it was just this beautiful thing and the hospice nurse like spent so much time explaining this is what you're going to start to see next and this is why it's happening and this is you know and it just it it just it was a beautiful thing and i think that you know um it was very helpful for my mom too, you know, to have that calm and it was so calm and peaceful and informative. And I think that was super helpful for her too, who was losing her husband that, you know, she'd been married to for 55 years, you know, it's, so thank you. Thank you so much for all that you do. And to all the hospice care workers um, out there that may be listening to this, thank you. Thank you for all you do. So David, we will include all of the myths today um, as well as contact information for Alive Care Hospice um, in the show notes that are, that you know will follow this when we publish this this um, podcast. Um, if you have any questions about hospice, trying to find a location in your area, or need some information, please email us at foundation at windward.com, and we would be happy to work with you and and help uh, point you in the right direction. So, David. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sean and Michelle. I really appreciate it. Um, part of our mission at Alive Care Hospice is to raise awareness about the hospice benefit. So I just thank you for the opportunity to, uh, to live out part of that mission today, uh, whether people choose Alive Care Hospice or not. Um, I hope that um, they have the information now that will prompt some, um, some difficult discussions and maybe make them a little bit more comfortable. Uh, so thank you again both for, for today. Thank you, David.